Hello, Kevin. Awesome. You guys are nerds. Damn right. Oh, Kevin, you're so witty. I would stab someone in the face. Oh, that's gross. I'm cutting this, by the way. Bad Philosophy, episode 106, recorded October 27th, 2011. Accident Alley. Hello, everyone. Welcome in. One, two, bad philosophy, upsetting the balance of reality. One, rabbit trail at a time. I am your host, Stephen Torrance, and we are back for episode 106. Uh, we're talking work today. And I'm joined by the one and only, and currently the only other bad philosopher right now, Kevin Saunders. So, Kevin. Yes. What the hell are you looking at? First. Uh, well, that was hyperbole and a half. I saved it for later because it's going to be too long to read in the start of the episode oh, between what we're talking about. TLDR. It's um, a good choice. No, uh, hyperbole and a half, by the way, is an absolutely hysterical blog. Okay. Um, uh, the the adventure. Um, her most famous one is probably the Adventures of the Alot. Okay. Which is A L O T, and she's she's sort of neurotic, and she described that instead of getting mad when people use the word alot, which isn't a word, mm-hmm. she decided to pretend that alot is a big furry creature. And oh. so she just reimagines all sentences that happen and replaces, you know, a lot with big furry creature. Um, like, I did that a lot. And, I mean... And it was just like referring to, like, you're talking to this big furry creature, right? I mean, you, you should uh, hyperbole in a house. like, I love you a lot. So it's like you're saying... Yeah, the a lot is better creature. than you. Um, <laughs> and, and do we have a drawing of this? Oh, yeah, no. She, she has these awesome little drawings. Oh. Um, but... I'm I'm skipping over it. It's it's all it's, very funny. It's an eagle using a MacBook. Yes, it is. Um, you know, a lot, some, a lot of a lot, a lot of, of fire. fire. <laughs> I care about this a lot. Um, a lot of straw. A lot of beer cans. Oh. I'm sad a lot. <laughs> Charging a lot. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. Um, I like this a lot more. Why does it mean a lot more dangerous? That's the sound it makes. You hear this a lot. A lot more dangerous, maybe less dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So it's wow. it's okay. fantastic. I like it. I like um, it. It's a great blog, and she got it, she doesn't post it real often. Mm-hmm. But there's a new one, and so it's showed up in my reader, and I'm like, ooh, excited. Okay. But now I have to, you know, whatever, do the bad philosophy thing. So I'm just gonna skip past other things. And the TSA fired the screener after the get your freak on note left in a woman's luggage. That's you know a nice thing oh, for them I, I to mean, do. They they should. Well, no. What happened? Did you hear about the story? Yeah, yeah, I, I did. I mean, it, it, somebody had a sex toy in their bag. And yeah. So when they did the inspection, they left a little note. That they said, left, Get your freak on, yeah, girl. Which you is, know. I mean, let alone the TSA rummaging through your stuff, which is always <laughs> annoying and creepy. But this, just I mean, this 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 makes it like a step worse. Yeah. Um, and at first, they were reporting that they weren't getting uh, fired; they were getting you know, reprimanded or promoted or whatever. Um, but now it looks like, according to Boing Boing, they actually did fire the person. Mm. So, so Kathleen, cool. of all people, is getting us back on topic. And I don't know if I can even say back <laughs> on topic. Kathleen's usually gotten us on topic a lot. She did it last yeah, week, too. Because we've actually not even been on topic from the beginning. No. Is that Cillian Murphy? Uh, yeah, Cillian Murphy continues to rock our, all our universes. Oh, okay. I'm well, not a huge Cillian Murphy fan, so I'm really? just going to skip it now. I mean, he's an actor. Yeah, I just I've not seen much that I've been impressed by him. Yeah. Anyways, so 
about, I guess it was two weeks ago, two and a half weeks, I was um, reading Boing Boing and uh, came across this interesting preview of a book by a couple of, uh, I guess, philosophers. I really haven't looked too deeply into what Mark Kingwell and his cohort do. Um, But they, in 2008, wrote a book called The Idler's Glossary uh, about all kinds of terms for, you know, idling. Uh, and, you know, what it means to be just somebody who doesn't do anything. And recently they decided to write a book uh, kind of following up on this called The Wage Slaves Glossary. And it's essentially, if, I mean, it, if I can summarize it at all, it's, it's basically just a collection of, of uh, work terms. Uh, you know, things like hot desking and, you know, the definition of employee and casual Fridays and, Things like this. Is it sarcastic? Maybe. So, reading the foreword to it, it really struck me as as kind of they're they're almost making an argument against uh, capitalism. It's kind of a kind of a neo Marxist argument almost. And they they start out by talking about um, you know the two thousand eight collapse and how it kind of showed that the this system that we've constructed here of, of capitalism in the United States. Is, is not infallible and, in fact, has some very, very big problems. Um, the fact that, that the practices of you know, lending to, to subprime um, candidates was allowed to, to happen and get to the level that it did in order to cause so much financial damage is troubling. And, and the fact that it was not illegal. So, yeah, so well, very, I don't think it has to be illegal. I just think that if you make the loan and it's a bad loan, well, you should take the fall for it. Okay, I mean... You know, that's, that's and, how that works. So we kind of carried off on we that. We screwed and, up on that. And, and talked about that a little bit last week. So they kind of start from that perspective and, and use it as a, uh, a launching off point for criticizing the role of gainful occupation in establishing or maintaining all of, one, biological survival, two, social position, and especially in American society, three, personal identity. So they essentially want to criticize the idea and and question the very idea of work itself and, and of the construct of work in the United States especially, of how we've sort of made work into one of these things that everybody has to do. And if you have a job, you're okay, you're an upstanding citizen, you're a good human being, you're contributing, you're a taxpayer. If you do not have a job, you're a bum, you're unemployed, you're costing the system money, you're a burden on everybody else. And therefore, you know, it, there's, there's a, a, a feeling and almost a desperation to have a job for, for every single American in the United States and to have a better job, to have a, a fun job, to have a fulfilling job, you know, to have a, a, a job, just to keep a job that, that maybe isn't any of those things because it's better than not having a job. Um, and, and I kind of wanted to, to spend the episode today maybe starting off a little bit before we get too deep into the, the rest of, of what they criticize, um, of... Asking just why? Why do we work? And I mean, I, I don't ask this as 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 if to say that we shouldn't, but just no. like, like let's build it from I first say, principles. I think if if we're going to go from a capitalistic standpoint, and and we like it or not, we live in a mostly capitalistic system right now. Mm-hmm. So if if we want to investigate work within the capitalism, um, the idea is you have to, in some form or fashion, to survive. You have to provide value to somebody else. Okay. Um, because you, it, it, it's a trade. I'm providing some service, some ability. Even that ability is, is 
picking crops in Alabama, of which nobody's doing right now. <laughs> what? Have you heard this? No. Um, no, Alabama, this is this is a thing that makes me angry. You know how Arizona passes really racist immigration laws? Yeah. Alabama did it, but worse. Um, the the basic laws, it just came through in Alabama. The basics of it is, is that schools are required to report anyone who they think might, in fact, be an illegal immigrant, students. Right. And turn in their parents to kick them out of the country. <laughs> um, basically making the schools the police. The schools didn't want to do it. Um, the families didn't want to do it. And a lot of the families have left the state. Now, mind you, right now is a big crop time. It's, you know, harvest time yeah. for a lot of things. And those families, who probably were illegal, that's, you know, though, no big surprise, the illegal immigrants are the ones who pick our crops. They all left the state, and now there's nobody to pick these crops. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, and you can't find someone who's willing to work for, you know, a dollar a bushel. Yeah. Who's an, who's an American citizen, because that's, you know... That's slave wages. Um, and I'll, I'll leave the interpretation of that up to our, our audience. Right. And what, what we should be paying them, but that's why we have cheap apples. Okay, well, we're getting, anyway, so, we're getting kind of yeah. ahead of ourselves. But, okay, so you've, you've, given, you've brought up one, one point so far. You must be of value to somebody else. You, you have to, to get something, to get something at all. You have, you to, have to provide a value to somebody who has the thing you need. Why? That's the way capitalism works. Okay. That's that's the basic value of capitalism. Well, well let's let's step it's outside. It's all voluntary. Let, so we know why we're working in this structure, but let's kind of take a step backward even before that. Like, let's go really, really basic. Why does anyone do you know work whatsoever? Right. Say that one more time for me. So, I, I feel like we we work because we feel like we will get something in return. We do. It's That's the money. idea. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's let's say it wasn't money. Okay. Let's um, give an example of like a, a friend of mine, or exactly a coworker, also a friend, um, recently got back from a year long stint in Europe where he essentially stayed on various people's estates and did work for them, like pruning gardens and uh, watering lawns and you know constructing various things. In exchange, not for money, but for um, housing, for meals, uh, for the occasional clothes from that, and other products. Mm-hmm. Um, even getting to keep some of the things that he built on, on their property. Um, so, and, and it was not... So, so it was it's a, different a barter kind. system, but it's still an exchange of value. An exchange of value of a different kind. So, yeah. it, so let's say, okay, it doesn't have to be money, but... The idea is, okay, these people were willing to exchange one thing for another thing. The, you know, the first Welcome being... to capitalism. Yeah, the first <laughs> being... Well, that doesn't, that's not necessarily capitalism. When right? it's, when it's so, an agreed-upon system of, I give you this, so you'll give me that, that's capitalism. Mm, okay. I mean, but it wasn't exactly a strange, an exchange of currency or, or money of any no, kind. No, but, but it was an exchange barter of doesn't value. mean it's not capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I think is important to stress. Right. Because when, when two people enter an agreement voluntarily and of their own free will, which mm-hmm. isn't always the case, um, both of those people are theoretically going to be happy with the outcome. That's the idea. Theoretically. Well, no, th- yeah. but that's, that's why they agree to it. They yeah. think they're going to be happy with the outcome. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. Okay. So, so we've established that. You know, I need to survive. I need a car. I need, you know, a house to live in. Therefore, I... I have a, a 
a net loss in you know value, right? So I need to I need to fill that by you know getting it from somebody else. They have a net loss of value somewhere else, right? Maybe they need another person to help do something. All right, so I trade my you know ability to generate value in one place in order to generate value in another place. I can't build my own house. So, although there are those who can, although there are those who can, yes, and they often use that skill to create value, <laughs> right, for other people. Yeah, <laughs> so the person who built your house can build houses, right, right. He can't fix his computer, something that you can do, mm-hmm. but he can build houses. So, so you know, okay, we're we're kind of building basic economic principles. Here, yes, all right. So this is this is how we construct. All right, this is this is why work needs to be done by mm-hmm. by individuals in this particular society. Okay, so in, let's take in a capitalistic society. In a capitalist, this is all this is all capitalism still. We've right. not veered out of that by any means. So let's let's kind of go a step further. All right, we've we've established this this capitalistic um, you know exchange of value, work for goods and services, mm-hmm. right? So or for money in order which to buy is, which goods is representative and of goods and services. Yeah, that's yeah. all that money is. Money is is a set marker for. Mm-hmm. How much goods and services you can get for a given yeah. thing it's for the value of for the value things. of a chicken, right? Five dollars. So chicken, Walmart. And and you know, I want to touch on something that that you you brought up earlier. There, the idea is that okay, um, you know, you can start from like uh, as a kid, we all start with you know our first job is a lemonade stand, right? Or we're you know mow lawns maybe yeah. for for a neighbor or something. Something. Like, you know, we get we get jobs. And mm-hmm. those jobs are kind of one-off uh, contracts, you know, informal contracts with somebody that, um, you know, we will get a certain amount of things for doing a certain amount of work. Yeah. And well, that's, that's any chore or allowance system that kids have, even before oh. their first job. So, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, you know, I, you, you, you get an allowance for doing your chores. If you make your bed, brush your teeth, and throw out the trash once a week, you get $3. Right. That's... Right. That's a job. I okay. mean, that's we. That's how built in this system is. Yes. is. This reward system for doing tasks. And and so eventually you get maybe your first uh, job. You know, capital J job, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're you're actually uh, under some sort of contract with an employer. You know, you become an employee of the paper, uh, the local newspaper, where you're you know delivering newspapers at four or five in the morning to the driveways of the various people in the in the neighborhood or mm-hmm. in the in the town uh, using your bicycle or using your own resources yeah. so they you're, don't have you're kids paid to do that to... anymore now it's uh <laughs> rent some trucks okay it is yeah. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> um okay also so... there aren't any newspapers but that's I'm, I'm i'm veering off your point yeah but but so i guess where i'm kind of going is this bit by bit we build up to you know into this structure of employment you know schooling is a, is a type of all right i'm i'm devoting my time to gain value, which will potentially in the future allow me to gain a better job, which will allow me to gain more value from, from and maybe sustain myself through a, a better means of employment, in addition it, to a bunch it, of other things. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious about your terminology of gaining more value. Um, because you're not gaining value, you're gaining ability. Okay, gaining ability to... Pres- to, to Fill needs essentially. to fill more needs. Yeah, to get more stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and everybody in the chat room is is on the right track. We're 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 sort of building up to this stuff, and I can kind of see how how people are wanting to, to <laughs> speak about a few things. But we'll get there. We'll get there. 
So uh, eventually you get to, to, you know, the working world where, you know, you've got a job at a corporation or, you know, maybe a, a local small business or something where you have a boss and you have coworkers and you have maybe an hourly wage that you get or if you're really lucky, you have a salary, mm-hmm. right? So you're guaranteed a certain amount of money per year. Um, salary wages, you're guaranteed a certain money, amount of money per hour. Yeah. And, you know, you're either part-time or full-time, um, defined by less than 40 hours a week or more than 40 hours a week. And, you know, you, you have, you get into sort of a routine where you do some sort of task from a certain specified time in the morning to a certain specified time in the evening, or if you're unlucky, a certain specified time in the evening to a certain specified time in the <laughs> well, morning. I, wouldn't, um, I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. There are people who like working the third okay. shift. Right. I mean, that's, <laughs> it, there are people who like doing it. Not everybody does, and some people do it that don't like to. Anybody out there remember the, the Reading Rainbow episode uh, about people who work the night shift? That just that I don't popped that back one, into no. my mind the other day. Yeah. I, only, I only remember like three episodes of Reading Rainbow. It's really? kind of sad. The Star the Trek one, one. The Star Trek one? Yeah. The one about optical illusions. I absolutely loved that one. Oh, I had a yeah. copy of that one on the library. I watched it a lot. And, and I got the book for that, too. I remember when, I remember there was a book when you that, could actually but, get the books that uh, they had on cool. Reading Rainbow. You know? Um and there's another one where he went scuba diving. And the only thing I remember from that mm. particularly was that he was looking at the different types of coral. And he was, he's like, you know what kind of coral this is? It's all voiceover, obviously. He's got a yeah. scuba mask on. <laughs> but he points to it and he goes, you know what kind no, of this d- is? Duh, LeVar Burton can talk underwater. And, and he points to a coral. <laughs> and then um, he, he scratches his head like this, the, the non-voiceover one. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, hair coral? That's a weird name. And then and the voiceover goes, brain coral. And I go, oh, that makes so much more sense. It looks like a brain. Yeah. So those are the three episodes of Reading Rainbow I remember. Okay. <laughs> there was one, though, that talked about night shift workers and how just, kind of, you know, the methods they use to, to deal with that and cope with it. And, and you know, I, I don't think anybody likes working. And, and that, this is one of the things that, um, that the, the folks who write the Wage Slaves Glossary bring up. All right, that's a really big statement. I like watching movies. All right, it, it calms me, it relaxes me. It's you know, it it lets me just kind of tune out and and you know connect with some other place. You know, I enjoy listening to music. Or I enjoy reading. Do I enjoy working? Well, it's maybe a different kind of sensation, right? When I when I get in the zone doing some particular task, I, I feel a certain kind of fulfillment, right? Um, you know, I'm I've, I feel that I'm when I'm when I'm happiest working is when I feel like I am making a contribution that is being met by. Um, a, an equal exchange, right? We're going all the way back to that, I'm I'm generating, not generating value, but providing my ability to generate value in exchange for some sort of compensation, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's and, and and compensation in work can come from another of as, a number of aspects, but this is where it gets tricky, right? So, and and uh, I think it's your mom that, that brought this up. I'm not sure who said this first. Uh, Kathleen, actually. Yeah. The, a problem arises when the employer loses sight of the value of their employees and makes unreasonable demands on their time. So this is kind of the next thing I want to talk about is it, once you once you abstract the... Okay. the Can we do of, something else before you move on? Because I, I, I still take mm. contention with... I mean, cool, okay. I, I was trying yeah. to look at you just you steamrolled through. Okay. Um, there's a really important thing, though, and this got just got brought up in the... Um, chat room as well. Mm-hmm. There are lots of people who like their jobs, um, and I, I, that's okay. true. I, I, um, I will I will stand by my statement. And so, can I, give me give me some examples. Well, personally, I, I'm I'm going to reference a Chris Rock video that I've pulled up. Um, this mm-hmm. is from 
one of his more recent concerts. It's not listed in the YouTube video in particular. Okay. Um, but he talks about the difference between a job and a career. Um, okay. And, and in his terminology, a job is the thing that you do because you have to survive, whereas a career is the thing you do because you love it. Chris Rock is a stand-up comedian. That's his career. He absolutely loves it. It's the best time of his life. He's incredibly happy for it. It's work. Okay. He still has to work at it. He has to write new material all the time because if he did the same jokes for the past 30 years, nobody would pay to see him <laughs> nobody anymore. Nobody would pay him, yeah. You know, yeah. Even if those jokes a long time ago were funny, and they still are funny, a lot of them, mm -hmm. but they lose that ability to be funny over time. Yeah. You hear the same joke 30 times, it's why did the chicken cross the road? Mm -hmm. That was once an original joke. That was funny. People did, you know, it was... But it's now become an anti-humor because it's so... Used right, right. In much the same way, knock knock jokes exist. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to create. You have to be producing something. A job is, in the example he uses, shelling fish at a crab shack. Yes, doing manual labor essentially. It doesn't. What, it, it doesn't have to be. But that, that's a job for him because there are people who like doing manual labor. I know a guy, Bob. We call him Bob the Builder. He likes building houses. Mm -hmm. He likes doing contracting work, and that's what he does for a living. And that's. His career. And so I think you get into this mindset of a lot of people do. I'm not saying you do, and I'm not making it a universal statement. A lot of people get into the statement of, I don't like my job because it's not what I'm feel, I feel, I don't feel passionate about it. It's, uh, and yeah. there are lots of things you can do that people feel passionate about. My mother, my mother lover, is just, um, I love her, is. <laughs> Yeah, I know that was awkward. Can you cut that out? Uh, um, maybe. Only in the audio. Uh, yeah, it's still in the video. <laughs> anyway, um, my mother uh, likes her job. She's a mm -hmm. tutor, and she teaches um, computer skills in the morning. Yeah. And it's not, it's not the world's best job. It's not like a job that you know you sing praises about. It's not doing stand-up comedy, but it's enjoying those things you do. I've li started liking subbing a lot more than I did the first month or so I did it. Okay. I don't love it all the time, but I find those positive moments in it. You f okay, you find positive moments in it, but the vast majority of the time, are you going, boy, gee golly, this is exciting, I love to be here. Would you rather be doing something else? Of course I anything would. Anything else. Working. Not anything else. There's lots of things I don't want to do. That's okay. why I'm subbing. All right, all right. Okay. But <laughs> I don't want to be working a midnight shift janitor job. I could get one probably. <laughs> Maybe not anything else, but something else. Like, Yes, but I also like providing value. I can't. Yeah. I I like to provide value to the world. Mm -hmm. I get a sense of enjoyment out of it. That's one of the reasons I write. I, I'm providing value. Not all of it goes out to people. But you who don't see get it. paid for doing that. You can though. Well, yeah. That's a possibility. But you don't. Not yet. So why why th then another kind of side question is why why do anything um, that would normally be worth that doesn't doesn't generate value, right? Why do anything that doesn't generate value? Mm -hmm. Is that the question? Yeah, I mean, it's it would be it seems like a waste, right? You know, why volunteer, for instance? Well, because that does generate value of a different kind. Well, you're, there's no one definition of value. Right, value right. is an independent so, quantity. So I guess what I'm what I'm kind of getting at is is there's there's sort of two kinds of fulfillment, right? You can get there's more than two. All right, there are a few different kinds. There's lots of kinds. Very basically, you know, material fulfillment, right? Um, you know, money, goods, services. Then there's, you know, emotional or psychological fulfillment. And where it gets tricky is where a job or a career purports to provide all of those, right? In order to persuade the people, the employees, 
to give more of their time and energy to that career or job. Right now, in the case of Chris Rock, he is very much an outlier. All right, he's managed to carve himself out a niche in the comedy world where people will pay him. Okay, but, but being, I can point to you to a school full of teachers who love their jobs, who feel happy about their jobs and the value they provide. Okay, and find that that excitement. So the fact that he's doing something different and doesn't mean that his is is that much of a different thing. It's it's a matter of in my opinion, and it's not easy, and it's not something mm-hmm. new. I'm struggling with it right now. Right. But the idea is that you find a way to provide value that does fulfill you emotionally as well as financially, if we're going to use that binary. Now, see, I would, I would argue that a lot of these positions, you know, maybe Chris Rock's excluded, but a lot of these that purport to provide that, that level of value emotionally and maybe psychologically do not financially, all right? Teachers are notoriously underpaid in the United States, right? Though they may enjoy their work, even love it in some cases, I doubt you know you would you would be able to ask a random sampling of teachers um, and and get the answer that, oh yeah, I'm I'm totally making as much money as I, I've, I've ever wanted to. Okay, you Stephen, know? you can't point to a random sampling of anybody who's going to say that. Um, yeah. Okay. And that's, really, you can't. And that's maybe where the, the problem lies. I think know? it might be. So one of the, one of the things that they do in the, the Wage Slaves Glossary is, is kind of talk about the various ways that the system uses, uses language and uses constructs to dis- disassociate the work that is being done by the employees from the actual value that they are getting, Right. So things like company retreats, right? Just the very the the very idea of, of a retreat, right? Work time that you get paid for to go spend time with a bunch of the people that you already work with doing things that people are telling you to do. Although this time you get to wear shorts and sandals and play interesting games with each other and learn things and build, you know, teamwork, right? Okay? Uh, things like casual Fridays, right? Oh, well, this day you don't actually have to conform to this strict dress code that we've been imposing on you all, you know, for four-fifths of the time that you work. <laughs> for four-fifths of the time that you work at this job. Isn't it a relief for you to be able to come in in the clothes that you would actually rather be wearing to this job? Things like, uh, you know... Being able to customize your cubicle, right? Oh, look at this. You can put, you can put uh, your own pictures and your own decorations up on your cubicle, right? Yeah, I think... So it, it, it masks just the, what I would say is the, the slave-type construction of most of, of the corporate employment in the United States as it is right now, okay? So, so teachers are, are not, you know... The, the vast majority of people live, uh, work in offices, Right. That's, I don't know. That's just, I can't say make a statement. Uh, you know, maybe I can't say. There's it, a say lot of things that it takes to run our world, mm-hmm. um, and I think limiting it to that idea is is exclusive. At some point, I mean, you know, offices, maybe stand-up workspaces, you know, some a a building of some type where you go and work, right? That's that seems to describe the majority of, of jobs in America. So I, you know, we, you can research this here, but. Um, and, it, and it's an assumption that we'll just make for the for the sake of argument here. That construct is 
kind of self-reinforcing. And, and uh, one of the things they bring up is that um, Jerry Pornell had, has very famously constructed kind of a law of bureaucratic structure in the United States that um, bureaucracies serve only to generate more bureaucracy. And that, um, and that, that uh, correlative to that, those in the organization who are dedicated to the growth and sustenance and, and sustaining of the bureaucracy and the bureaucratic structure tend to last longer at that company than the people devoted to the actual goal and mission of the company itself, right? This is, this is not an uncommon phenomenon, okay? Companies tend to grow, bureaucracies tend to grow, governments tend to grow much, much more easily than they shrink, all right? So Jeff is attacking Kevin's hair right yeah, now. Yeah, no, Jeff's way into me. You, <laughs> so are back. you finding any... any I'm, I'm looking. I'm, I'm at the Bureau of Labor Statistics just trying to see you know, what we do as a country. Of all places, should be the easiest place to find data. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the U.S. is pretty good at, at paper trails. That's what the U.S. does. Okay, That's right. what the government does. We're pretty, good at, yeah, we're pretty good at getting data. Presenting it? I mean, look at this mess. <laughs> no, I mean, depending on what I'm looking for, there's a lot of useful information here. You know, here's the current employment statistics okay. national. Okay. Um, can we can we see like a breakdown by uh, sector? You know, probably. <laughs> All right. Uh, somebody in the chat room had had us go ahead and define underpaid. So. Uh, That's my dad. Uh, oh, all right, I awesome. Did. So, we've got three Saunders involved in the uh, in the episode today. Um, Kathleen says, "I decided based on my training, education, and skill level what my time is worth. Anything less is underpaid." So, okay, and it's kind of a subjective position, right? Well, no, right. because I, so, I think um, to to disagree with you, if I may, Kathleen, mm-hmm. um, I think the given value of a job, and it's not a nice thing to say, but the given value of a job is what someone will pay for it. Okay, yeah, that's, that's fairly straightforward. Yeah, That's what it is. And right now, and, and you know, we can argue about it all you want, and teachers certainly do um, say that they're underpaid, but if they were underpaid, we would have a different situation because they wouldn't be working for that. So, so that's that's um, one of the arguments, right? Is okay. So you're underpaid at your current job. Just get another. One. That's not the job I make. That's not the argument I'm making, though. Because I'm, I'm looking. I at, think that's the argument. That's you're an making. extension thereof. But I'm looking at definitions of the term underpaid. Okay. If I can go back to Alabama. So underpaid is is you know you actually shouldn't be working for that amount of money, right? You, yes. So why do illegal immigrants work for the amount of money that they? Make. Because that's the amount of money they're willing to make for that job. But that's not what, how you define it in the first place. You, you define it much more objective, like the amount of money someone is willing to that, pay for okay, that Okay, is the, the, the what they pay the illegal immigrants who are not, making, who are not harvesting crops in Alabama mm. right now is what they are willing to pay them. They, you can't get those farm owners to pay U.S. workers minimum wage. They're not willing to pay that. Right. So the value of that job then becomes this. So it's, it, it is... Because right now they would have to hire a bunch of U.S. workers, legal workers, documented workers. But anybody... So, so in that situation, though, it seems like we can look at it and, and say objectively, too, that they are underpaid, right? Because there's some sort of an established amount, like a minimum wage... That and let's let's kind of kind of you know sidetrack over onto the idea of a minimum wage, right? So so the United States goes 
Well, we see that that a significant number of people are getting paid less than what it takes to survive in you know the economy right now. Therefore, we are going to mandate a, a federally mandate a minimum wage that a a business or that an employer must pay an employee in the United States. Right. So the idea being that it is impossible for someone to be underpaid. Okay. Because underpaid would mean they would not be able to to live. Well, right? no, because the un- that's the idea of. You're, you're equivocating a bit here Am in I? that yeah. um, underpaid for the value provided. The teachers argue they provide a greater value than what they receive in payment. Okay. So that, um, that and, this, and it really does revolve around this idea of value. Oh, certainly. You know, and, and I, I really feel like value is a very subjective thing. Of course it is. Yeah. That's why teachers say, I'm not getting paid enough. And the employers say, well, yes, you are. Yeah. This is the amount of value we think you're worth, and we're paying you that. Yeah, and really, nobody can prove anybody wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you can know. show evidence. I mean, there was, there was a really interesting... Yeah, um, yeah, well, no, there's yeah. a really interesting Planet Money study, or Planet yeah. Money podcast, which you should all listen to Planet Money if you're interested in this sort of stuff. They do interesting things with it. Um, that economists have shown evidence. Again, mm. no, there's no such thing as proof. There's no such thing as truth. Um, that a teacher who does a good job can benefit the economy to the effect of, for one class, one year with one group of 30 students, uh-huh. can long-term benefit the economy for tens of millions of dollars. Wow. Because of, of generated value by those students. By those students right. who've, who, have, who have increased their, the potential value. And on the reverse side of it, a teacher who does a bad job can actually harm the economy long-term. It's very difficult to track these, and it's very difficult to show these immediately. Mm-hmm. You say, okay, well, your test percentage went out this way. Projected value maybe would be that, but we don't know that that's what your actual value and impact will be. Right. Um, and that's the problem. Well, that's the problem is, is yeah. the, um, it's, it's the um, unintended consequences, if I'm going to pull out my mm-hmm. libertarian handbook. <laughs> um, yeah. And, <clears throat> and that's sort of the idea. And um, so, so there's, there's that idea of that. And the... And, with the minimum wage job, it's the implication that everything, everything that anybody can do for money has a minimum set value attached to it. Mm-hmm. And as we've just discovered or discussed, value is completely arbitrary and subjective based on who it is. Right. Because, and and your, your dad brings up a good case here. A beef packing plant raided by the government uh, with, sent all the illegals that they found home. That plant offered Americans, uh-huh. you know, citizens, documented citizens, about twenty-five dollars an hour, and couldn't fill the positions. Uh-huh. Right. So, f- for the Americans, that was being underpaid for that that work. For the illegals, it was like, oh yeah, this is great. So I'd take a job for twenty-five hours right now. Twenty-five dollars an hour, yeah. Um, um, but I mean, doing meat packing. Probably. Probably, yeah. Considering what I'm getting paid per hour right now, yeah, that's a step up for me. Yeah, well, yeah, well a big step up, probably. Um, that it's, it's significant. It's yeah. at least a, uh, we'll say, 40% increase. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice step up, and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's a job that's seen as a lesser position. Yeah. So there's that cultural establishment of value as well. I, I, just, I just want to get back to, so, so we've kind of established that value is this very subjective thing, but the problem is that it's just so easily manipulable that you know, a, an employer can, can make a, an employee feel like they are getting so much more value out of a company than they actually are. I mean, things like, like okay, benefits, right? They will pay for your your health, uh, in, you know, and uh, cover your your health costs up to a certain point, mm-hmm. right? 
I over over the the vast majority of the time I've I've worked for for the company I work for have never utilized any of that money that I'm paying into this fund for health benefits. Now, that's not to say that um, tomorrow something horrible may happen to me where I need to um, use that money and be very grateful that I have it, right? But, you know, things things like, oh, well, you know, we, we offer all of these uh, discounts, right? You know, we, we, get, we actually get a, a discount card by, like, Passport or something that gives us all these, like, minute discounts to restaurants and, like, travel services and all these different things. And they, they end up being, you know, end up seeing this and being like, oh, I'm getting this value from being part of this company. But it's really, you know... Coupon level discounts that you could get other okay, ways. But I, would I, you I, quit your job without those? Yeah, no, but it's it's a, it's a subtle psychological thing. It's like look at all this kind of peripheral stuff, and and I mean all companies do this. Um, you know things like employee of the month. You know rewards uh, that they give out internally that have no monetary value, but have a kind of invented prestige to them. You know? Well, and, and that's, again, that's the subjectivity of value. Right. And there are people who value that. And there are people who don't value that, who don't strive to get employee of the month. And, and the problem is that, that you know, this system that we kind of talked about from the very beginning of the show trains folks to accept farcical value or farcical rewards like that. Okay? Farcical to who? What, what is an employee of the month um, award? Get someone in the long run, right? What does pride get someone in the long run? It's not pride. Okay, so what, how do you why do you bring pride into? Well, no, it? because I, think, I mean, no, that's that's the the there's pride in a job well done. Yes, and theoretically, and and I'm really taking a weird stance on this. It's kind of surprising me. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> I, it's an interesting discussion. So I want to keep going on this track. Okay, but theoretically, <laughs> an employee of the month is an outward expression of pride, both within the employee and an outward saying no. of pride. No, but it is. It is. Okay, you can right. be proud in being the best at something. In but emphasis, you know, emphasis on the theoretically. Okay, speaking as speaking as someone who has has gotten you know many rewards for various things over my lifetime, I have to say that the the lasting value of that reward is actually very little like in terms of both in terms so of self trying well okay <laughs> w- maybe that's where we're going with all of this but so so my point is kind of that that we think that there's some sort of a, a an expression of respect right there that's sort of a fulfillment right okay i'm getting this acknowledgement from my employer right but it's been so watered down and degraded that it's almost a joke like to receive employee of the month is to be that person who you know kissed ass the most, who you know who brown knows the most with their boss, you know who who did enough, you know who put in the long hours without paid overtime to to get this this plaque that he gets to put up in his cubicle and feel you know some inkling of a diminishing inkling of pride every time he looks at it. I mean, it, it is just it's such a constructed means of compensation. And it really has no significant value long term. Whereas, if, okay, if somebody gave me a thousand dollars, you know, and an actual, you know, incentive reward for you know that go along with that employee of the month thing, 
that is a more significant compensation, right? Because I can then turn that into things that maybe I personally subjectively value more, like other goods and services. You know, I go and spend that money on movies. I buy something for my girlfriend, whatever. You know, I get to I get to take that value and convert it to other things that mean something that, that I can build something with, right? Mm-hmm. A plaque is a piece of paper. It costs them like two cents to make it, right? And then they don't. That that's money they don't have to pay to me because they've compensated me somehow else, right? Schools do this, teams do this, you know. Athletics does this. It's it's you know prestige and social uh, positioning, right? Yeah, but what what you're doing, Stephen, is and and I I do see some of your point in saying that you know. You're not. You don't find value in these things, right? I'm. I'm saying that that there's there's an overemphasis on these things in that in the value that they are purported to be to have and to carry. Well, it's it's a matter of of perspective because yeah. the employer might think they're worth but, more but than the employee. Just because it's a matter of perspective doesn't mean we can't talk about degrees. Is, we is can, another we another can. point I'm kind of making but with this. Yeah. Within that. The the benefit of being employee of the month was not part of the agreed upon. Job contract that was created. That you were you were stated you st- in that contract you agreed to more or less you agreed to yeah. statements up front you agreed oh, to what no, it was no, up front. I, I get that. Yeah. And so the idea that you expect to be paid more for hard work is kind of an entitled thing, and we are certainly an entitled generation <sighs> um, because if you're not if you're doing that which you were agreed to do, isn't that the American ideal though? Like to get paid for hard work, like to get paid in proportion to you know. What you get out is what you put in. Yeah, the American right? ideal isn't capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're related, but they're not the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, yeah, and and to be and to some extent, there is some truth in that, in that you work harder, you'll get better jobs. You're more likely to get a promotion, other mm-hmm. things like that. But the agreed upon job is, I work for eight hours a day in a high school, babysitting twelve year olds. <laughs> not twelve year olds. They're fourteen at least in high school. Sometimes. Um, 14 to 18. Yeah. But I get paid a certain amount to do that for eight hours in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I've discovered, as many people have, um, <laughs> that if I work really hard and I fight with my students and I try to get them to, to work really hard and to focus on what they're doing, I get paid the same mm-hmm. as if I sit back and let them talk to each other for 45 minutes and read a book. <laughs> I'm not saying I do that, but it's the same amount of... It's the same... My job is to make sure they don't set anything on fire. That's my real job. I hope you succeed at that. Uh, I, I actually told them once today, I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of class today, and I said, don't set anything on fire while I'm gone. Though if you let them, they you didn't. might get hazard pay. So, uh, Not if it's my fault. <laughs> Probably. Although, if you're a teacher in Texas and a student punches you or uh-huh. hits you, you get an automatic six-month paid leave. Um, oh, so it's within your your uh, possibly you, within your your abilities then to get them angry enough to punch you. You don't want to try, okay? <laughs> because there's a lot of paperwork involved. <laughs> That's See, the one little perk okay, for a lot of other things. But I think you've hit on another good thing, though. All right, so the the bureaucratic structure, right, like tends to it, it makes things that it wants to perpetuate um, and things that help it perpetuate very easy to do within the bureaucratic structure, right? So it's very easy for someone to, to get hired, right? Or, or, or fired, you know, for people to come, come and leave the company. It's very difficult Maybe. for them to move within the company, right? For there to be change within the structure of the company. No, that's certainly something because, you see nowadays. Yeah, um, because, because, you know, a static bureaucracy 
to a certain extent, is a more stable bureaucracy. The people that are in the positions get better at the positions that they're in, mm-hmm. and you know, keeping people who are in positions that they may not actually like deep down, but you know, convincing them that they actually do like them, or that the the fact that they don't like them is their yeah. fault, that keeps them in the company and keeps them doing work that that you know the company undervalues, but maybe actually is worth more to the yeah. company. Yeah, and, and we yeah. see some of this, and you're talking about you know the moving within the company versus moving from company to company. And we do see mm-hmm. that. I mean, this nowadays, um, particularly. Um, the sort of generation that's entering the workforce or has been for the past five to ten years mm-hmm. um, is that, you know, it used to be you would stay in a job for 30 years yeah. and you would you would get, and you were you were rewarded for that in, in very concrete monetary sort of ways. Yes. You got regular pay yeah. increases, all this sort of stuff. You got Bonuses, benefits. Yeah. You know, they had a party for your 30th year in a company or whatever. Yeah. Stuff like yeah. that. Um, Which but, but mm, those, but keep going. Yeah, <laughs> not if it's got cake. Um, <laughs> it's got marble value. cake. Yeah, mm. but um, within that though, you'd have these sorts of things. You get the gold watch at the end. Uh, but nowadays, we don't. That's not emphasized within companies, and employees rarely spend two years at a company. Yeah. They they're always on the lookout for the better job somewhere else because you can't get the better job within the company. Mm. You got to go somewhere else and get the higher pay, get the better job, and you'll bounce around. And and companies are structured to to accept that. You know, well, they it's sort so. of it's well that's that's how you get someone else. You have to pay them a significant amount. Yeah. And in a good economy, right now, things are a little bit different because we've got you know so much unemployment. Mm-hmm. But the idea was that in a good economy, um, you've got to pay someone to get them to come to you because they've already got a decent job. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's you know well, looking for a job when they had a job. And companies have realized that there there actually isn't too much of a penalty for you know letting a a quote unquote you know trained experienced person go. It's pretty easy to bring you know an inexperienced person in and teach them to do the exact same job because the systems are so well established that it's almost impossible for someone you know who is minimally competent not to be able to do the the correct job. Oh, I'm so sorry, um, Jeffy. Apparently, destroyed some of Kevin's My paperwork. Character sheets. Um, and that's and that is really kind of disturbing to me sometimes when I look at that. Like like bureaucratic systems and and large companies have have so well established procedures and practices in place that it is very difficult for anyone within that structure to really fail once you get in. You know, as long as you have a minimum level of competency, mm-hmm. and and that's just strange, right? Like it not only it, it's a safety net, but it's also a glass ceiling. You know, you're kind of you're bouncing on a trampoline, hitting your head. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I, I do see that, and I do think that there are, so there, people are, it are looking have to be that way. And, and the idea is for people to to, you know, to incrementally move up, but like you said, bounce between companies. Mm-hmm. So you're you're kind of like trying to bounce out of the trampoline onto another trampoline that has a higher, slightly higher glass ceiling. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's it's. And that seems like a really un- <coughs> unstable way for an economy to to work itself, right? It encourages a lot of a lot of this this chaos within the system, right? And and for companies to be much more conservative because they they can't have you know dynamic people that that are looking to stay in a company and grow and grow the company and change the company as much as the company it purportedly changes them. Well, that's because one could argue the companies aren't paying you to do that. Right. The, the companies aren't aren't giving the value because the companies aren't the companies aren't valuing someone who does that anymore. Right. And they they may want to value that, but they're not showing that value by 
giving said a value to the employee. No, I, I, and, I, and I don't think that, that a person like that... And that tells that, me they don't value it. Right. And I, and I don't think a person like that can exist anywhere except at you know, maybe the very top of, of a corporation where they have freedom and control over the vision and the direction of the company. To a certain extent. A lot of executives at the top really don't have that much freedom and control over the direction of the company. Stock Sometimes stockholders do. Stock, well, maybe... The board, well, the board of directors is often a bunch of stockholders. I mean, that's... Yeah. I think. It's the idea. That, I've never been in corporate America so I don't know that's true or not. Mm-hmm. So, so the whole system is kind of built upon all of these megaliths existing in, in a relatively static state, doing the same sorts of things, not making any really fundamental shifts in the way they do things, and you know the, the structure below them being relatively stable and static and self-reinforcing. That's, I guess, how a company grows or, or exists in the first place. And, you know, there are certain tenets of, of a company sustaining itself, like, you know, keeping... Uh, Overhead low and profits high, right? Mm-hmm. One, what's one of the way you keep overhead low? Don't pay your employees as much. You know, cut wages, cut people, but only by you know the the amount, but by a subtle amount. You know, you have you find that balance line where you don't cut empl- wages so much that people leave, and you don't cut enough people that they you know feel like everybody around them is disappearing. Or you do it in a very subtle way. You shuffle people around and then do it. Um, you know, there there are everything about how a company is structured is built upon screwing over its own employees below a certain pay grade. Okay? Like, that, that I guess, is one of, one of the fundamental well, arguments it, of this is book. Is it over-screwing them, or is it just valuing them at what less than they think they're worth? Well, here's, here's how it works. Is, is again, we, we talk about it as a subjective valuation, but when a company starts at a certain valuation and then drops that valuation in slow, subtle ways over a period of time... The company originally valued them as something higher and then but, changed that value when uh, relative to other things staying the same. Like the profits of the company go up. When you see the profits go up, the, the wages go down. That's okay. Well, show me that happening. That, okay, I'll see the wages staying the same. With, barring the last three it years, happens. Well, it happens. Doesn't that's not showing me anything? That's and saying I, it happens. And I can, um, yeah. Barring the last three years, where there's been a lot of opportunities where if you don't take a pay cut, you lose your job. Mm-hmm. Um, that's which is atypical. Mm-hmm. Um, often, as I understand it, you'll stay the same, but that was your agreed upon rate. You agreed to work for this. But the, so here's the thing: like you, your wages staying the same uh-huh. at the, at its very least. Is not con- is is your value is going down relative to the problem because, because unless company, the company loses money, but but companies so you know many many companies grow right okay so so companies that grow their profits grow their their you know their size and their valuation grows but their com- but their employee wages stay the same like that's a problem okay that, that's a that's a problem from an outsider perspective but from the perspective of an of a one person employee employer relationship within that system. The employee agreed to work at $23,000 a year. Mm. That was the agreement. That's the contract. And so they may, you know, they may not like that that happens, but they were still, that you said, you know, that's agreed upon if the company makes money or loses money. Mm. You know, I'm going to work for a year at this rate. And there are also tons of variances on this sort of thing Here's as an well. Idea. So what if, what if, kind of to eliminate that, and I don't know if this is a practice anywhere, but what if employees got to... Like part of a contract was you make a certain hourly wage, and then your raise at the end of the year is is your a percentage of that amount of money equal to the percentage that the I'm company sure there are. 
the company grew yeah, I'm that, sure there are. that year. There, there, are, there are things like that. There are stock, it's basically stock options. Um, uh, because as the of. company's value increases, you get more money for your, your, your stock, stock value increases. Yes, um, but you have to be cashed s- out. Many times you have to spend your own money to get that money from the company. So a percentage, a, a percentage. small portion. Yeah. Of, yeah, you have to pay a little bit to get a large amount out. That's yeah. the <laughs> idea. That's handling. Right. Um, <laughs> now, now there is something more akin to what you're looking for. There is something that hits this, mm-hmm. um, and it can work in a capitalistic society, although it doesn't. Mm-hmm. exist very often. And that's sort of the, the equivalent of the commune. Um, in that okay, this is going somewhere I wanted to go anyway, which yeah. is let's talk about alternatives. Um, there's there's um, another alternative I have in mind as well that, I, that intrigues me, and I don't know if it'll ever work, okay. um, because it, it likes humanity way too much. But <laughs> the commune is created with the idea of, it, of everybody benefiting when the company benefits and everybody losing when the company loses. Hmm. Um, and it's maybe not on an equal share basis, but on a set share basis. I've been reading, uh, I'm actually rereading because they read them a while ago, but they're really good. Um, the, yeah, this is a, a sci-fi series, uh, The Tales of the Golden Clipper, mm-hmm. um, which is basically like a merchant marine ship, but, or mer- a merchant ship, instead of, but instead of on the seas, it's in space. Mm-hmm. Um, and you work at a certain rate, but you also get a share of the company profits of the, the of what they make. And your share is based on your job. You can be a quarter share, half share, full share, double share, and so on and right. so forth. Right. The captain gets the largest share, obviously, because they're the captain. Mm-hmm. But it's it's again that sort of based on that's not quite as far as the commune idea goes, because um, in a true communal company, you'd make every everybody would make the same based on your work. Yeah, it would be the, um, the amount divided by how many people. There yeah, are. and yeah. but but there are stages of this that you can. I mean, there's there's very as you can have within this. Mm-hmm. And I think it could work. I think it would be difficult to work. One place where I think it does exist, um, and I've, I've been working or reading and researching a lot about uh, Austin Roller Derby recently, mm-hmm. mainly because Amy's been um, dealing with some of it with in one of her classes, um, and we've been watching documentaries and things on it and reading and stuff. But the current um, TXRD, Texas Roller Derby, here in Austin, mm-hmm. is owned and operated by the skaters themselves. Cool. So all of the skaters have a, have a voting share in what happens with the company, changes that made, decisions that get made, and benefits from that because of it. You know, mm-hmm. if, if TXRD does well, they get a benefit from that. And it is intentionally built around that sort of communal idea. And it wasn't always. In the, uh, in the earlier history of it, it was kind of run by three to four women mm-hmm. um, who didn't let anybody else make decisions. They made all the decisions, got all the money, everybody else sort of. And that didn't work, and they fought back and said, we're not going to do this, and they changed it. Yeah. And um, that was a benefit. Now, of course, the... Um, and so I like that idea, but it's it's tough to do that as a company gets much, much bigger. You know, let's say you have a 1,000 or 2,000 or 10,000 person company. How do you give 10,000 people a say in what a, what a company does? Why does a company have to be that big? Ooh... Big valuation means large uh, deals, and the ability to make very to to own whole sectors of, of industry. I mean, the, you don't you don't have the that it's power basically. Like you can't have power with a small with a conglomerate of small companies, right? It just which you know maybe a large corporation sometimes feels like you know that yes there is corporate control from the top, but a, a corporation is often a 
collection of a bunch of different departments and you know differing structures mm-hmm. within the company but it's you know as much as a country is usually a collection of, of different regions and and it's but it seems to be that it would be a tough model to scale is, is just what I'm saying well, we've not very, seen it no, yeah. I think I think it would be doable and mm. I think you wouldn't get corporations that look like they do now Hmm. You wouldn't have, I mean, if, if suddenly all the companies in the world were transformed into this, you wouldn't have the Occupy Wall Street going on right now because it wouldn't be a 99% out of 1%. You, know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have the, this tiny percentage of the population making a, you know, half of the money in the country. Yeah. Um, that's not how it would work. Um, they would be making, you know, a, a greater percent. Probably a greater percent. But it would be a little bit more balanced. It right? would be representative of the value they've created yeah. on a... It would be more closely tied to it. Because obviously, CEOs make their companies lots of money. Mm-hmm. That's why they get lots of money. That's, yeah. that's the argument, and it's hard to argue that. There's the, it's the how much lots of money they make versus how much they create for the company that's the mm. contention, in my opinion. Um, we, we haven't really gotten to this particular um, subject, but we've kind of been skirting around it the, the whole time. Um, what, what does make... Uh, work different from slavery. Primarily the fact that you can leave, right? Yeah. Um, which a lot of people don't feel like they can easily leave a company. Um, they don't feel like they can. But they, you know... But that option exists. It, yes. <laughs> it's sort of a, it's a perception versus a reality if mm-hmm. such a thing is, exists. Yeah, I mean, a slave system, a company owns you and your destiny, you know, a, or a person owns you and what yes, you Yes, in a slave do. system, yes. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were... Yes, yeah. I agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's really about degrees of control. While, while you know, certain companies can feel very slave-like in that, you know, your entire... I mean, let's look at Foxconn, you know, for, for a lot of the people that work for that company, their house, their meals... I don't meals, know what Foxconn is. Uh, Chinese manufacturing. Okay. Large-scale manufacturing company. Yeah. Their, their house, their education, all of their friends, all of their income, all of their meals, their entire existence... Is the company? Yes, I owe my soul to the company. I mean, that, that, and, that, and that is, you know, that I is, mean, that that's that is that's much closer to an actual slavery. Yeah, um, or uh, was it U.S. Steel that used to do that in the states? Yeah, um, there were a lot of, of oh, yeah, there were a lot early of early United States companies that um, you know they they would build a town. You got for their you got workers. paid in script in company script that yeah. you spent at the company store, mm-hmm. yeah, and and they set the prices, and you didn't yeah. have any choice in the matter. Yeah. Um, that's Theoretically, close to you slavery. Can still We've leave. moved away from that. We've gotten better, but we still can sometimes, you know, dip into those tendencies. Um, I kind of want to, you know, end with a quote that that's in this. Um, well, because don't end yet. I've got another alternative. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Uh, this, this is my um, wacky out there. It'll never happen, but I wish it would. Um, economy situation inverse of capitalism. Okay. Um, and I've done a little bit of research on them. I'd like to do more, but. I don't have the time. Also, I watch a lot of TV. Um, it's the idea of the gift economy. Okay. And this is different than a they communism talk about that in here or too. a capitalism or a communism where everything's shared equally. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea of, and I've read it in one place, and it's um, almost intoxicating the way they put it, but it's the idea of an economy based on love and mm-hmm. a love of everybody. And that we don't, and I know, and, and you're laughing because it doesn't exist, um, but. 
Yeah, I'm going to well, get you. Well, it doesn't, but it may, it could. It theoretically yeah. could. And the idea of the commune in the more traditional sense is built on that, is that idea uh, to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, of, you know, everybody lives together and everybody works together because that's what we need to do to survive. Mm-hmm. And we want to help each other. And that's the gift economy is the idea that you give things to somebody because they need them, because they want them. Not mm-hmm. in a government-structured, organized way, but in the way that I make a lot of apple pies. I'm good at making apple pies. Jimmy next door needs an apple pie. He's having a party. I give him an apple pie. Um, yeah. And it's... it's You can't track that. I mean, you can't, you can't put a value on it. No, I mean, it's and, just, and you don't want to. And the thing is, and the key to it is is it's done without the expectation of reciprocity. Ah, and that's, that's, and the, that's yeah. what makes it the opposite of capitalism. You know, we started right. out saying that we work to get a value. You know, we provide a value to get a value. Mm-hmm. That's that reciprocity that exists. Yeah. And the, the way to break that, a way to fight against that in any sort of way, if, if we want to do that. I mean, if you, if you want to create the opposite of capitalism, isn't communism... Because it's still a, a value-generating system. It is to give without expecting anything in return. Mm. Um, and I, I love that idea. I do. I wish I could do it. I don't know that yeah. I can do it. Um, I, and the system is certainly set up to make it very difficult to do so right now. Well, and, and everything you learn from, from the moment you're, you're born is, is, is the idea of, of reciprocity. Yeah. Is, is when you give something to someone, you create a debt. Mm-hmm. They owe you something. Yeah. Then. And, and that, it's just so deeply ingrained. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, I, I, I don't feel like I could... I could receive without feeling that I would need to, to give. It's I don't feel like, like I would feel guilty about giving because it would create that gulf mm-hmm. you know, and, and that the person would owe me. Or I feel and like it's really would. difficult. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, and, and it is an idea that I think has existed for a long time mm. um, and is difficult to get hold of. But I would argue that you could look at a lot, maybe not all, because I don't like universal statements, you could look at a lot of the world religions Mm-hmm. And there's a seed of that in the middle of a lot of them, of yeah. this idea of that we should be giving without, without the need for reciprocity. Yeah. That's what, I mean, if, if you're going to make a statement about, you know, the purpose of religion, it's encouraging the giving without the need for reciprocity. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's worked. And I think a lot of religions have lost sight of that. And, you know, you look at Joel Osteen and his prosperity gospel, and I want to shoot somebody. <laughs> um, you know, the idea that God wants you to be wealthy. Um, he says these things, and it bothers me. But, and, and he's not, I mean, that's, that's one example. There's yeah. lots of examples for lots of religions. Mm-hmm. Um, Kitty. <laughs> but, um, and, and it's unfortunate that that sort of happened. Mm-hmm. But there are certainly, I mean, I think... You know, I think that's how powerful this idea is, is that it exists as an undercurrent in a lot of things. But we humans, we people get in the way of that. And we say, well, I like the idea of, having to, you know, of getting stuff and not having to give it back, but I don't want to have to give. Yeah. We're greedy. And I don't know where that comes from necessarily. That's maybe a whole other episode. We're greedy. Or a whole other year of episodes. We're greedy because... And, and I don't know, it's a chicken and an egg thing. We're, we're greedy because we feel like people will take things from us, you know. And, and so we protect what we have because we don't feel like, you know, if we give it away, we don't, we're not, we can't trust <coughs> that someone will, will give us what we then need. Yeah. You know. And, and that's what it is. And, and I right think, now, that's very much the case. And I think know? the answer to this is telepathy. 
Hmm. If everyone was telepathic without choice, you had to feel and experience the feelings and experiences of others. You would know. Yeah. You, you would, I mean, and that's, it's this lack of connection that we have. Yeah. The ability um, to deceive. Like, yeah. Literally, the ability to, to lie. And, Means and that we do. To, yeah, and to manipulate. And if... if Makes it truly impossible to, to trust the vast majority really of Really hard. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the whole idea of building relationships and friendships is you've, you've built up a, a core group of people that you've had a lot of experience with and that you're pretty confident you can trust. Mm-hmm. But there's always... I mean, even spouses. Yeah. Like, that's well, what, that's what gets me. Spouses deceive each other. I mean, 50, 50% divorce rate. A higher. lot of them are cheating. <laughs> yeah. And it's... Oh. And it's just... Yeah. So maybe we'll we'll talk about trust and ways to in, engender that in a future episode. But um, and I I you know I almost don't even want to end with this quote now because it, it <laughs> ties in with something that and we've already talked about it. a little bit. So um, I guess if you could pull up the the form spring, yeah, um, we'll see if we, see if we have any relevant uh, forms things to do for the form squeeze on this episode. Yeah. Um, no guarantees at this point. No guarantees, <laughs> indeed. Uh, did you catch it before it automatically logged you into Facebook? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, yeah, so looking at the chat room, they, they've kind of um, gone off on a, on a tangent discussion right now. But uh, Well, they started talking about insurance a bit, which yeah. um, I, I kind of threw a uh, can of worms in there and let it ah, explode. Joel Olstein. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, that was my mention. Yeah. I mentioned him as well because... Let's not look at Joel Olstein. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, Joel Olstein's a terrible example of anything. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, here's one. P.S. Why are people proud? Oh. Um, I, think, I think we spent a lot of this episode on we that. We did, yeah. Um, Should we just say discussed as a topic <laughs> or discussed as a subtopic? Accidentally in discussed. In episode 106. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I don't know that we said why, but I think we got to a little bit at the end. Um, mm. You know, that sort of... A C C I D E N T. Oh, Kitty oh. finally found a place to settle down on top of my Paramac G3. Cute. I don't know how to spell. Someone in uh, the chat want to tell me how to spell accidentally? Because uh, I'm doing it so bad that I can't. It's You find it down accident alley. That's just crazy enough to work. <laughs> See? You will find your answer down accident alley. <laughs> you learned that in school, didn't you? <laughs> no, <laughs> I just came up with that. Seriously, I'm good at, at remember like all the those stupid segues that I come up with. I'm good yes, at coming up yes, with, I with do. Uh, stupid. What is what is that like? A mnemonic? Yeah, it's a mnemonic. It's a mnemonic. Um, you know, like uh, the mnemonic for science. I've I learned this one in second grade, mm-hmm. and I still this is how I spell science. <laughs> Some cats in England never can eat. Um, spell science. I don't know why. It's stuck in my head forever. Um, or another one, if you're doing trigonometry, some old hippie cut another hippie tripping on acid. That's how you remember sine, cosine, and tangent. S-O-H, some old hippie, sine, adjacent, or opposite over hypotenuse, yeah. cut another hippie, C-A-H, yeah. cosine, adjacent over hypotenuse, tripping on acid. Tangent, um, opposite over adjacent. Yeah. That's how I remember it. Um, so yeah, mnemonics are fun, and they stick with you in weird ways. I just memorized how to draw the um, draw the right triangle, you know, and then you then then you just um, 
You just know. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, right. I, I don't know. I just, I just. I mean, yeah, that's that's okay. I just knew. Like, yeah. I didn't think of a, of a mnemonic to, to come up with it. Do you have any superstitions, BF? It's the question of the day, so we have to answer it. <sighs> oh man, um, God, not really, not really. I mean, I have I have just practices that I do, and I feel weird when I don't do them. But I don't. That's a superstition. Well, more of a, more of like uncomfortable because it's inconsistent thing yes, than that's like a superstition. When you boil them all down, that's what they are. Uh, They're no, trained behaviors. No, but you you feel like something different will happen if you don't do them, right? Or something will happen if you do do them. Like I feel like all superstitions are based around the the false assumption that correlation equals causation. Um, you know, you look at baseball players who spin around three times and only pump their bat twice before they, you know, go up to bat, right? And they say, well, well, you know, a bunch of times when I did that, I, I made a hit, and when I didn't, I didn't get a hit. Well, that's, that's like, what it comes from, though. That's a repeated behavior that didn't happen. And, and yes, it extends beyond that, but when it gets down to it, there is something. You know why it's unlucky to whistle backstage in a theater? I'll tell you why. <laughs> You're supposed to fill in the blank there before well, I say that. Well, why, Kevin? Thank you. I'll tell you why. It's because in the early days of theater, all of the rigging was handled by people on the rigs. Uh-huh. Um, and they had... Um, and people who were good at rigging were also came from the sailboating industry. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have a lot of similar rigging. Pulling ropes the right uh, time, moving yeah. things around. Mm-hmm. And they would actually command them the same way they commanded sailors with a whistle. They had a bosun's whistle or other types of whistles that they would use to tell them what to do. Hmm. And so whistling backstage meant that you might get a sandbag dropped on you if you accidentally whistled something and somebody pulled down not realizing it was their cue (laughs) doing and you get something and you die or you know something happens. So that but that that that's where that started. So it actually a long time ago it started with an actual Yes. But no longer does correlation equal causation. Right. Um, Yeah. You know, the reason, according to some people, why Macbeth you don't say in a theater um, is because, and there's varying reasons on it. The one I like the most, though, is that if you were in a repertory theater, you had, you know, eight or nine shows that you did all the time, uh-huh. um, you would put on Macbeth because it was a crowd pleaser. And so the, um, so it was always a guarantee to make money. Everybody uh-huh. loved Macbeth, so they'd come do it. And so if, you know, your company announced they were doing Macbeth next, you know, you see that on the call sheet, tomorrow we're doing Macbeth. That meant your company needed a lot of money really quickly. Uh, and so you're in bad straits. Oh, and so, so now, now nobody so, does Macbeth. So, well, no, everybody does Macbeth. Oh, but you don't okay. say Macbeth in a theater. That's what the superstition oh, is. Okay. You don't say Macbeth in a performance space unless you are actually performing the play. Macbeth, okay. Um, you say Lady M, or you say, uh, you say the Scottish King. You say Lady M instead of Lady Macbeth. You say the <laughs> Scottish play. And there are people oh, who are deadly serious about this sort of stuff. Oh, my God. And, um, you know, you, you don't say good luck. You say, you say break a break leg. A leg. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, can, you can say good show. Good show is sort of replaced good luck. But the idea is that it's not about luck. It's about a performance. It's about <sighs> skill, necessity. Hmm. Um, and, of course, in dance they say merd, and in opera they say toit, toit, toit. Merit is shit in French. I don't know what toit 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 is. <laughs> um, it is, but it's the same sort of you know reverse psychology or whatever. Yeah. Um, you say the opposite of it, it'll see, and then yeah. But but some of those things do come out out of things, and so you know, breaking your routine and having a bad day because of it. No, it's not that I have a bad day because of it. it's just like if I break a routine, my body has to think all of a sudden. Like if I I have a very specific way that I shower, for instance. Like I I do my just from muscle memory, I do the exact same actions throughout my shower routine. 
And whenever I find myself thinking about the actions that I'm doing and then I accidentally miss one, it feels <laughs> weird for a second. I don't, I don't call that a superstition, I guess, but it's just like my, my brain is kind of, uh, you know, I jump the tracks, as it were. Like, I, I get out of that, that, you know, process that I'm just kind of playing back and doing. Um, <laughs> anyways, I think that's enough of a, of a form squeeze. We've gotten a little bit over time on the episode, so... Um, <laughs> All right, well, cool. Uh, for for those of y'all watching on the live stream or who, who are listening before I, uh, this actually happens, um, I'll be visiting Texas Tech University next week. I'll be leading an honors college lunch discussion uh, based on this topic, potentially. So today was kind of a dry run for that and kind of, you know, seeing yeah. where a discussion may go. And you it may go you in ought to bring up the gift way. thing. I'd like, I'm interested to see what the honors college I would, would say love to do that. So, yeah. The gift economy. And I'm, I'm, this is just one of the reasons why I did this, because I knew that, you know, you would challenge me and it would go. <laughs> different ways and it's just awesome so yeah there's yeah. a wiki page on it okay um, gift economy yeah awesome well and that's another uh that's another thing that that i was actually brought up in this in the foreword to this is yeah. that it just it really Burning man is a gift economy i forgot that it throws yeah oh cool okay it just it throws capitalism for a loop you know when you do something like that and that's oh, that's yeah. why i really want to bring it up is it's like well let's think of a different way that we could do everything that's yeah. not communism well the thing is you know. is is and and you have to get down to what's the basic of capitalism and that's you know reciprocity of value yeah and communism is still a reciprocity of value yeah it's, it's just a different it's way of spreading it and it's a, diff- a different way of associating value but it, it it requires a central body to distribute everything mm-hmm. you know or it requires everybody together to distribute everything to yeah. everybody even even in the commune like the, yeah. the prototypical commune there's a few of them in austin i know about hmm. um, where people live together and they all put everything into the pot and they all take out of it together what they yeah. need there's still that reciprocity thing you know i can take in i can take something out of it because i put something into it right right. um and the gift economy breaks that down and says you know yeah make it more of a of a a peer-to-peer i give into something because it's the right thing to do yeah and because i mean even beyond that because i love everybody Hmm. you know buddhism's not unlike that as well so it's a peer-to-peer economy not not bitcoin yeah, it's a strained. <laughs> I know, I know. It's strained. It's, it's but. strained. But anyways, um, Kevin, the, oh, an answer to uh, your mom's question real quick on here. No, Texas Tech is not paying for my expenses <laughs> to drive up there. I will be spending, you know, whatever money it is to, to drive up to Tech, and I'm, I'm actually saving to, to make that happen. Um, I will be spending that money to go up there and feed myself unless someone decides to give me a meal while I happen to be out there, which may happen. Um, There will also potentially be a bad philosophy from Texas Tech's digital media studio uh, (laughs) with, with Matt Legler and... We will at least make it live for audio. It may be live for video if I can get a computer to make that happen because that would be Just the most do it bad thing. Just your phone ever. like you did before. Uh, that, no, <laughs> that, that didn't actually work. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that, and, and it's going to be a fun couple of days. So going back to going going back to my alma mater. Um, Anyways, you can always watch us on the live stream here. We're, uh, I think it's kind of settling in on Thursdays for the day that we do Bad Philosophy now. Seems to be working. Seems to be working. Somewhere around 4 or 5-ish, maybe later. Although feel like we'll be it. missing Community tonight. Um, I just watch it on Hulu. It's cool. Yeah, they, they post it late to 
Hulu now. Well, they got a way to torrent it then. Yeah. You've got ways of doing that too. Um, yeah, so pretty consistently on Thursdays, and uh, you know, just watch our, our Twitter stream and uh, of course the uh, Facebook page too, Facebook.com/slash/badphilosophy, which I haven't plugged enough recently. I just realized uh, we have a Facebook page. In case you you didn't know, I don't even um, have Facebook anymore. <laughs> okay, well, whatever. For those of you who do still have Facebook, uh, visit us, like us. You can like each one of our episodes individually if you want to, and. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash badphilosophy. Kevin is uh, twitter.com slash kevson, K-E-V-S-A-U-N-D. I am S. Torrance, S-T-O-R-R-E-N-C-E. And if you have any comments or thoughts on the show uh, that have uh, sprung up in your mind, please visit us at badphilosophy.com and uh, you know contribute your two cents if you feel like giving it to us. Uh, until then... Ask us questions on Formspring. And ask us questions on Formspring. Thank you, Kevin, for reminding me. Formspring.me slash badphilosophy. And with that, we will let you go. Do whatever type of work you find yourself in at the moment. Have a good one. And we'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. But I'll tell you this right now. now. Now I have a career. I have been blessed with a career. So if you got a career, thank God. If you got a job, I hope you get a career one day. That's right, because when you got a career, there ain't enough time in the day. There ain't enough time. When you got a career, you look at your watch, time just flies. You're like, God damn, whoa, it's 5.35. Damn, I got to come in early tomorrow and work on my project. Because there ain't enough time when you got a career. When you got a job, there's too much time. That's right, you look at your watch like, ah, shit, 9.08. You don't even trust the time when you got a job. You be like, what time you got? 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 got? 9.15? Whoever got the latest time is the right time. He got the right time. He got the right time. You ever play the time game with yourself at work? You ever play the time game where you go, I'm not going to look at my watch for two hours. Oh, you scared Kitty. Yeah, well, I sneeze loud. <laughs> Don't I know it. <coughs> okay. You're allergic to cats, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. You had Never cat- stopped me before. <laughs> you have cat hair all over your chest. Yeah, huh? Uh, okay. Said, Never stopped me before. All right. Probably should have brought some Benadryl. All right, two hours passed. Time to look and feel good about myself. And you look, f- 15 minutes. Badphilosophy.com. You win, motherfucker.